This episode of Disease Du Jour is brought to you by equinevetedu.com, a free online educational platform for veterinarians from the AVMA PLIT and equimanagement.com. Welcome to Equimanagement's podcast, Disease Du Jour, where each podcast will delve into the research and current best practices for a variety of equine health problems with industry experts. I'm your host, Kimberly Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. Today's guest is Dr. Peter Timoney, the Frederick Van Limmick Chair in Equine Veterinary Science and a professor at the Gluck Equine Research Center. And we'll be talking about factors that compromise normal pregnancy and the adolescent horse. Dr. Timoney got his MVB honors at the National University of Ireland in 1964 and his master's at the University of Illinois in 1966. He received his FRCVS degree from the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons in London in 1978 and his PhD from the University of Dublin in 1974. To include all of Dr. Timoney's professional profile and involvement in national and international organizations would take up most of our time, so we'll mention some of the highlights of his career, which include he was the director of the Maxwell H. Gluck Equine Research Center from 1990 to 2008. He was chairman of the Department of Veterinary Science at the University of Kentucky from 1990 to 99 and in 2002. He was an adjunct associate professor of virology at Cornell University in 1981 to 83 head of the equine diseases section at the Veterinary Research Laboratory in Dublin, Ireland from 1972 to 1979. His primary research interests are equine infectious diseases. This podcast will focus on factors that compromise normal pregnancy and the adolescent horse and what veterinarians should know about the current state-of-the-art of diseases that affect this period in a horse's life. Dr. Timoney, welcome and thank you for joining us on Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour. You're most welcome. Let's start out by discussing why equine veterinarians need to be aware of what can interfere with a normal pregnancy. There are a number of infectious diseases, or more specifically disease agents, um, that the pregnant mare can be exposed to in the course of her pregnancy that have the capability of compromising the maintenance of pregnancy in that particular mare or in a group of mares. And I think anybody, any veterinarian who's involved in um, reproduction involving the mare and or the stallion needs to be fully aware of what those disease agents are and um, the characteristics of what they can cause in the mare. And in this instance, I would list a number of viral agents as well as bacterial agents that have this capability of compromising or interfering with the maintenance of a normal pregnancy in the mare. If such a mare is exposed to any of these agents at different stages in its pregnancy... Um, The first of those undoubtedly would be equine herpes virus 1. That agent has been known for many, many years as probably the chief or the major cause of viral abortion in breeding populations of mares worldwide. And that still continues today, despite the availability of a range of vaccines 
that purport to protect mares against uh, loss of pregnancy from that infection with that particular virus. Um, the virus itself is ubiquitous in the vast majority of domesticated um, breeding horse populations worldwide. The virus itself um, has many characteristics similar to other uh, alpha herpes viruses in that, number one, it can establish latency or a carrier state in a very high proportion of adult horses, be they mares, stallions, or indeed other categories of horses. The significance of that is that the carrier animal and the latent carrier state in a mare um, can be reactivated under certain circumstances. And that reactivated virus has the potential then to replicate in the bloodstream and certain tissues in that pregnant mare and, in fact, cause or give rise to abortion in that mare or, indeed, be shed via the nasopharynx of that pregnant mare and spread via the respiratory route to close in-contact mares and give rise to abortion in one or more of those in-contact mares. So the potential is there that, based on the existence of the carrier state, that one cannot, at this juncture, um, eliminate the potential risk of reactivation of latency in any population of pregnant mares. And at times, people overlook this as a risk factor in terms of is a brood, a group of pregnant brood mares at risk of losing one or more of their folds. They're always at risk. And depending on the environment in which those mares are um, kept, whether it's out at pasture and um, they're kept as an isolated band or cohort of mares, um, for a period of several months, extending from, for example, August, early September, right through to the time that each of the particular group of mares folds down. Or, in fact, if it's much later in pregnancy and those mares happen to be exposed to equine herpes virus type 1, um, the consequences can be different. They may not necessarily give rise, that exposure may not necessarily give rise to abortion, but may in fact um, infect that pregnant mare and in fact congenitally infect the fetus in the uterus of that mare. And that fetus or foal is born, um, not normally, but it's born to term, but congenitally infected and diseased right from the time it and breeds its first breath. So the virus itself is ubiquitous. It has this potential to establish the carrier state in anything from 40 to 60 or 60 plus percent of adult horses. So the risk of reactivation of latency exists at every point in the lifespan of that particular animal. And I would mention that the duration of latency or the latent carrier state 
in the mare, pregnant or open or barren, is for the lifetime of those particular animals. They become habitual herpeticers. In other words, there's always the risk that, in fact, you could get reactivation of latency from the sites in which this latent virus is present, namely the trigeminal ganglia in the central nervous system and also the lymphoreticular tissues directly adjacent to the respiratory tract and also certain subsets of the lymphocytes in circulation in the bloodstream. So nature has evolved a very wonderful way, so to speak, of ensuring the perpetuation of itself for the duration of an animal's life. And you might argue, or you might say, how does reactivation evolve? How does it occur, and why does it occur? It occurs, for example, under circumstances of where you upset the you introduce something into the environment of the pregnant mare that um, disturbs the sense of equilibrium in that particular animal from an emotional point of view, whether it's, for argument's sake, taking a mare from a group of pregnant mares that are um, being pastured in a particular field, sending that mare off to a sale. It doesn't meet, meet its reserve at the sale. It's returned to the farm of origin and put back into the same field in which it uh, was taken. That of itself may be sufficient by way of an extrinsic stress factor to, have give, to give rise to reactivation of latency in that animal. Furthermore, if you have a group of pregnant mares, it is contraindicated that once you establish that band and keep them together, that you introduce a strange mare into that group. You don't do anything to disturb. Once you've established the group, you leave that group alone. And if you take mares out of that group for one purpose or another, you do not put them back into that same group, especially if they have been off that premises and could have had potential exposure to another horse, another mare, or otherwise, and possibly that exposure could have given rise to uh, infection with equine herpes virus type 1 or other infective agent and give rise subsequently to infection in that particular animal and that infected mare in turn would carry that infection back to the original farm from which it originated and spread that infection to uh, other cohort mares within the particular group. So it's a virus that has tremendous potential. As I said, it is the commonest viral cause of abortion in domesticated mares. So much for the for abortion that this particular virus can cause. I think it's important to emphasize that the vast majority of abortions that take place in mares exposed to equine herpes virus type 1 take place from the 7 to the 7 and a half months in gestation or pregnancy. Doesn't mean that this virus cannot cause abortion earlier than 7 months. It can. But those cases are in the minority. And why is that? 
The reason is that the lesions in the placenta of the pregnant mare that the virus can cause in those earlier stages of pregnancy is not severe enough to compromise maintenance of pregnancy in those mares. But once that mare reaches seven months or older in pregnancy, the virus has the ability to cause significant damage um, to the uh, vascular epithelium and the trophoblast in the placenta of the pregnant mare. And it's those changes, those pathologic changes, that are responsible for, um, ultimately, for infection of the foal in, or the fetus in the uterus of the mare and give, leading to premature placental separation and expulsion or abortion of the fetus. It's important to emphasize that from a diagnostic point of view, not every case of exposure of a pregnant mare to infection with equine herpes virus type 1 can necessarily give rise to infection of the fetus in the uterus of that mare. But yet that fetus happens to be expelled or aborted. By way of explanation, there are some strains of EHV1 and in some instances, the immune status of the pregnant mare may be at an extremely low ebb, such that the virus itself causes a very severe set of lesions in the placenta. In other words, it gives rise through um, thromboembolic lesions and causes damage to the lining of the uh, endothelial the endothelium of the blood vessels in the trophoblast, in the placenta. And basically, it's so severe that, in fact, the virus does not have time to uh, pass across the placenta and infect the fetus before you get premature placental separation and expulsion of the fetus. So what's the practical significance of that? If, for argument's sake, abortion occurs and the practitioner or a farm manager or somebody else who's tending to that mare feels that they need to submit the fetus to a diagnostic lab for evaluation and for confirmation of a diagnosis and just submits the fetus without submitting the placenta, it will mean that the fetus, in fact, will turn out to be virus negative. It doesn't matter whether you're using either virus isolation as your primary means of confirmation of a diagnosis of EHV1 infection or using the polymerase chain reaction assay as a much more rapid means of establishing a diagnosis. The virus is not there. Whereas if you had submitted the placenta in conjunction with or accompanying that fetus, that placenta would have been absolutely teeming with virus uh, in terms of your abilities to isolate it in cell culture, to demonstrate its presence using polymerase PCR or the polymerase chain reaction assay, or indeed sectioning of those frozen sectioning of tissues of the placenta, sections of the placenta, and staining them using the fluorescent antibody method, you can demonstrate widespread evidence of um, equine herpes virus 1 antigen in those tissues. 
So that's an important diagnostic feature. So the point of it, to emphasize to any practitioner, farm manager, or person tending to pregnant mares, for heaven's sakes, include both placenta together with the fetus because there will be a percentage of instances otherwise where you may miss a diagnosis and not declare that a particular abortion was due to EHV1. And the next thing, or the consequence of that, could be that the virus has already spread amongst whatever cohorts, number of cohorts, were in the same pasture or shared the same pasture with the mare that aborted. And before you know what you, where you are, you're going to have an abortion storm on your hands. And it would be fair to say that in many years past, the characteristics of abortion outbreaks due to this particular virus, equine herpes virus type 1, was that you had multiple abortions occurring on premises where mares were in close physical contact. And in fact, it wasn't known that in fact the cause of those abortions was a filterable agent or a virus, and people did not take the necessary precautionary measures to segregate the other mares in conjunction with the mayor uh, or from the mayor that had aborted. They should have isolated that mayor directly and basically subdivided the remaining mayors in a particular group into smaller groups so as to minimize the number of abortions that could have supervened if indeed they were exposed to the virus. It is a practical point to emphasize that if one observes pregnant mares in a field and one of them either just folds normally, folds down normally in such a field or in such an environment, or aborts, that it is very, very common for other mares, the cohorts of that mare that aborts or gives folds normally, will come over and will sniff the either the aborted fetus or the foal or the membranes, or the area in which that event takes place. So again, there is a very high risk of multiple exposure of pregnant mares within a group to this virus under normal circumstances where either abortion or normal foaling takes place at pasture. And let's discuss then the, the neonate. Tell me uh, some of the, the problems that can affect with infectious and contagious diseases of the newborn. It's important to appreciate what might happen in the mare that's in advanced pregnancy and is exposed to equine herpes virus type 1. Some people think that EHV1 for short um, has the ability always to cause abortion and nothing else. That's not strictly speaking correct. If a mare is very in advanced pregnancy and is exposed to equine herpes virus type 1, that mare may not abort, but in fact carry her fetus to term and give birth to a live foal. Unfortunately, that foal is born congenitally infected with equine herpes virus type 1. The virus has passed across the placenta but has not given rise to abortion, but has given rise to 
uh, fatal, or I should say a fulminant infection, a viral pneumonitis in that foal. And that foal is born already diseased, experiencing um, uh, difficulties in breathing. It's usually um, uh, semi-dysfunctional in the sense that it may have be febrile, it may not be febrile, but it normally only survives perhaps 48, 72 hours, despite you know, heroic symptomatic treatment. What is sometimes not appreciated, though, is that owners and farm managers may resort to heroic measures to keep these folds alive. And what they don't realize is that such folds are highly productive sources of equine herpes virus type 1. They're exhaling that virus in the respiratory tract secretions and in the air that they breathe out. And the people who are tending for those, those folds will uh, run the risk of uh, contaminating their hands, their clothing, any instrumentation that they use with the virus, and then should they come in contact with other foals or other mares, they will so readily transmit or indirectly transfer infection to those foals or to those mares. So even though it sounds rather um, drastic, the kindest thing to do is to basically, once the diagnosis has been arrived at, that your foal is congenitally infected with equine herpes virus type 1, is to euthanize that foal as quickly as possible and basically submit it to a laboratory for confirmatory diagnostic testing. And furthermore, to observe the appropriate or to take the appropriate biosecurity measures to ensure that there's no possibility of transfer, indirect transfer of the virus and of infection to other pregnant mares or to other young foals. So that's an important point to emphasize and that it's not always appreciated or realized. So we go on then with other potential infectious contagious diseases that affect neonatal foals? Yes, another agent that has to be borne in mind when you're talking about what can possibly interfere with the maintenance of a normal pregnancy in the mare, and that is equine arteritis virus, which is a very different virus to equine herpes virus type 1, as its name might suggest. Um, The virus itself is widely distributed in populations, equine populations worldwide, but interestingly enough, is not a prominent cause of abortion in those populations, unlike equine herpes virus type 1, that's much more frequently encountered and responsible for a much higher frequency of infection, giving rise to abortion in pregnant mares. Equine arteritis virus is, uh, as I say, it is a virus that, like equine herpes virus type 1, equine herpes virus type 4, and equine influenza virus, it's one of the four major equine viral respiratory pathogens in the horse. So much for that, but 
aside from that, it's important to realize that this virus, if introduced into a pregnant mare, that it has the ability to give rise to abortion. And unlike equine herpes virus type 1, it can cause abortion as early as two to three months in pregnancy right through to term. So the period within which pregnant or abortions can occur is much wider, much more extensive than in the case of equine herpes virus type 1 based on experience and many years of uh, work that's been done with these two particular agents. Um, the virus itself um, does not establish latency or a latent carrier state in the pregnant mare. The carrier state with this virus only occurs in the sexually mature intact male, namely the cold or into the postpubertal cold or the stallion. So you don't have to worry that, in fact, the pregnant mare, even if she becomes infected with this virus, that she will become persistently infected either for a period of time or indeed for the lifetime of that animal, as occurs in the case of equine herpes virus type 1. The virus itself, again, has the ability. It's endotheliotropic. It heads for and causes damage to the lining of the blood vessels, especially the arterioles in the body, um, and also the venules in the body. And that's how the name was first coined, equine arteritis virus. In other words, an inflama- a virus that causes inflammation of the arteries and the disease itself, equine viral arteritis. The virus, obviously, if a mare, pregnant mare becomes exposed to it and she has never previously had a prior exposure to the virus, in other words, she's naive to the effects of the virus, she will develop an acute systemic infection. She'll manifest a variety of clinical signs, but included amongst those clinical signs, if she is pregnant, is the potential for that mare to abort. The virus will find its way, since it's carried via the bloodstream throughout the body of the pregnant mare, to the uterus, to the pregnant uterus. It will infect and cause lesions in the placenta and the virus itself will pass across the placenta and infect the fetus in utero. What happens is that, as in the case of equine herpes virus type 1, that infection will give rise to various changes and uh, release of different factors in the bloodstream and in the tissues of the pregnant mare that give rise or result in premature placental separation and expulsion of the fetus. So that can happen, and as I say, can happen over a very wide range of pregnancy in the pregnant mare from two months right through to term. However, it's important to realize that similar to equine herpes virus type 1 infection, this virus, equine arteritis, can also not cause abortion if a pregnant mare is exposed to it very late in pregnancy. She indeed may not abort, but instead carry her fetus to term, and that fetus is born 
congenitally infected with that same virus. Interestingly enough, that congenitally infected fetus presents very similarly to the fetus that's congenitally infected with equine herpes virus type 1 and is expelled or foaled, uh, already diseased, already congenitally infected with that particular virus. And so what's the outcome? The outcome is that the, the virus itself causes a fulminant or rapidly progressive viral pneumonia in that foal, and that foal again will succumb in a matter of 48 to 96, 72 to 96 hours from that fatal infection. Once again, it's important to emphasize that since such foals are congenitally infected and one of the primary organs involved in that infection are the lungs, that those foals are exhaling a highly infectious amount of virus, a high concentration of equine arteritis virus in their expelled air. And similar to EHV1 congenitally infected foals, that virus can readily infect um, other foals, not just neonatal foals, but foals even within the first two to three months of life and give rise to a very severe illness that very often results in death in those foals. So again, the risk is that if whoever is caring for such foals thinks that symptomatic treatment may reverse the changes that are taking place um, and resort to heroic symptomatic treatment to uh, sustain the life of those animals, that unfortunately is the last thing that should be advocated. Again, the most important thing to do is to euthanize those animals as early as possible once a provisional diagnosis has been confirmed that it is equine arteritis virus that is the source of the problem. Those folds should be euthanized and the foal and the placenta submitted for uh, laboratory testing uh, to confirm um, a diagnosis. Furthermore, those caretakers or caregivers of that foal should do everything possible to ensure that they're implementing appropriate precautionary measures or biosecurity measures to ensure that they do not unfortunately or inadvertently indirectly transmit the virus or the infection to, to other pregnant mares or to other either neonatal foals or young foals on the same premises. Do Is there want... anything else about equine arteritis virus infection that you would like to mention? Yes, there is. And I overlooked mentioning it in my previous discussion of this virus infection in the pregnant mare. It, there are some individuals who are under the impression that uh, mares that are pregnant, um, uh, or rather mares that are bred to a carrier stallion, a stallion that is a carrier of equine arteritis virus, um, 
may, may conceive, become pregnant, and then weeks or months after that breeding, in fact, um, abort due to the infection, due to the exposure to the infective semen that they were inseminated with, either naturally or by artificial insemination. And that's how our abortion supervenes. That's not the case. The real-life situation is that a mare must be pregnant at time of exposure to this virus. Exposure at time of insemination or service does not subsequently result in abortion. In other words, usually the story is on premises on which abortions occur due to equine authorized virus infection, that a mare has been bred to a carrier stallion naturally or artificially um, through AI with infective semen. And then that mare is just released and let out into the same pasture as a group one or more pregnant mares without giving any or paying any attention to the fact that that mare can act as a source of infection. If that mare that was recently inseminated was a naive mare that basically was neither vaccinated against equine viral arteritis or indeed was shown previously to service to be serologically positive for antibodies against equine arteritis virus, that mare will become acutely infected with the virus itself, will develop a systemic infection, and will shed that virus via the respiratory route in significant concentrations for anywhere from 7 to 14 days or maybe slightly longer. If she is released into a field in which there are other pregnant mares, some of which, one or more of which, has never been exposed to this virus, has not been vaccinated against it, or indeed, and nor indeed, has been shown previously to be serologically positive for antibodies to this virus, there is a high risk that those mares, one or more of those mares, will in fact be, become infected and as a consequence of that infection will abort, either late in the acute phase or early in the convalescent phase of that infection. That exposure can occur if such a mare is released into a field in which those mares exist. That exposure can also occur if that mare is released into a field where there is across-the-fence contact with other pregnant mares of uh, naive status with respect to equine arteritis virus infection. So that is a very important practical point to bear in mind if you're advising clients that wish to breed a, pre a mare or group of mares with semen from a known carrier stallion, uh, and I'm referring to a stallion that's a carrier of equine arteritis virus. If that breeding is natural, by natural service or by artificial insemination, it makes no difference. The important thing is, from a husbandry or management point of view, is that that mare is set aside, isolated for a period of not less than three weeks, preferably four weeks, after which time she can allow 
or can be commingled with other pregnant mares. Dr. Timoney, let's talk a little bit about EHV4 and how it is different from EHV1 in relation to abortion in mares. Equine herpes virus type 4 is very similar in many respects to equine herpes virus type 1. It shares many of its surface antigens, or the two of them do, but they are different and can be readily differentiated from one another. The primary difference is that in the case of equine herpes virus type 1, that virus has the potential not alone to multiply and replicate in the respiratory tract epithelium and then be carried to the regional or local lymph nodes where it multiplies again and then spills over into the bloodstream and sets up what's referred to as a cell-associated viremia from which it can go to any tissue in the body and infect a range of those tissues. In contrast, equine herpes virus type 4 similarly infects the respiratory epithelium and the respiratory tract and multiplies there and will be carried inevitably to the local lymph nodes, but it does not set up a cell-associated viremia in the vast majority of cases. What difference does that make? That means that those infections with the equine herpes virus type 4 cannot give rise to, in the vast majority of cases, abortion because they're not carried by the bloodstream to the pregnant uterus, as was the case in the case with respect to equine herpes virus type 1. However, there are certain strains of equine herpes virus type 4 that are similar to equine herpes virus type 1 in that they have the capability to set up a cell-associated viremia. And those strains, if they infect a pregnant mare, can in fact cause abortion. But interestingly enough, the abortions that are caused by those strains of equine herpes virus type 4 are invariably isolated or sporadic cases of abortion. Equine herpes virus type 4, historically and to this day, is not known as a cause of abortion storms or multiple cases of abortion within any group of pregnant mares. So that is a significant difference in how these two viruses behave. Each of them has their own specific um, tropisms for different tissues. And for example, in the case of equine herpes virus type 1, it can be cultivated not alone in various equine tissue cell lines, but also in cell lines derived from other species. Whereas equine herpes type 4, herpes virus type 4, can only be cultivated in cell lines or equine tissues, not in equine, in non-equine tissue cell lines or tissues. Okay, well, we thank you very much, Dr. Timoney, for joining uh, Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour today, and I'm sure we will be talking again in the near future about other infectious and contagious diseases of the horse. Thank you again for joining us. This is Kimberly Brown with Equimanagement's Disease Du Jour.